the biggest thing for the payroll, regardless of it's in-house or bureau, I think is recruitment and retention of staff. COVID burnt out a huge amount of people. And a lot of very experienced people have walked away probably from, or have walked away from the payroll industry, chose to retire or have just said enough is enough. That has left a huge hole in the payroll world. As leaders, we have to be shouting that organisations need to train their people. Welcome to the Payroll Podcast, the show that explores the latest insights and innovations in the world of payroll. I'm Nick Day, founder of JGA Recruitment, a specialist global payroll search firm. I'm also a qualified executive coach and a recognized Reward 300 member. And my goal for this show is clear, is to bring you expert guests and payroll leaders who are driving this industry forward. From cutting edge technologies and trends to compliance, analytics, automation, leadership strategies, and more, we're gonna cover it all on this show to help you to deliver accurate and timely payrolls across your organizations. So let's join together in raising the strategic profile of payroll worldwide. Grab your coffee or your favorite beverage, and let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Payroll Podcast. My name is Nick Day, CEO at JGA Recruitment Group, and we are specialist payroll recruiters. Now, if you are a regular listener to this show and haven't yet reviewed the show, please do so. It really helps us gain traction in the payroll industry against all those other podcasts that are out there. And of course, if you have any payroll friends you think could benefit from these shows, please do share the love, share the show. And the more we can get people listening to the show, the more we can really raise the profile of payroll for everyone. Now, talking about payroll and experience, I am joined today by Rob Evans, a self-motivated payroll professional with an absolute passion for delivering exceptional customer service and right payroll services first time, every time. It's someone I've known for over 19 years. In fact, he was one of my first ever clients when he was head of payroll services at Salima Bureau back in 2004, which I think he left in 2012. And Bureau is very much going to be at the, the focus of today's episode. Uh, Rob is currently head of payroll for UK and Ireland at TMF Group. And I've invited Rob today to join me on the payroll podcast to share his extensive operational experience, having been responsible for creating and establishing service delivery centers in the UK and offshore, but also to find out more about his experience developing payroll departments in both the private and the public sector, as well as within bureau and in-house functions as well. Now, Rob has a real background in trench and living solutions across all of those different remits. He's implemented systems, he's outsourced solutions, uh, in particular within local government, schools, colleges, and even the Supreme Court of the UK. He's also done that for many private companies as well, and we'll find out more during the course of the show about what that involved. I should also add that Rod was the recipient of the 2023 Leadership Awards Bureau Leader of the Year Award. He's been regularly included in the coveted Reward 300 and the Reward 100 before it changed and was once shortlisted as one of the top five payroll leaders by Reward Strategy in 2019. In fact, he was also a 2014 CIPP winner of the coveted Payroll Manager of the Year Award. So I'm sure you will all agree we're in very experienced company today. Rob Evans, welcome to the Payroll Podcast, sir. How are you doing? I'm good, Nick. Thank you for inviting me. Um, my God, seems a long time ago we were the CIPP award. It um, does. It was 2014. It seems a long time yeah. ago when we first touched base when we were you know, in 2004. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot, lot, of, uh, lot of changes in the payroll world since then. Um, I was, when, when you asked me uh, to do this, I started going back and I, I realised that I've actually been in payroll now 42 years. Wow. Wow. So you started the year I was born. I'll let other people do the math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you, I know what the first question you're going to ask me is, yeah. um, what does payroll mean to me? Well, payroll is is basically my life. It's been my work life because other than about a, a year, when I first left school and went to work, uh, I went and joined a company called John Molan, big building company in Hartford. Yep. And I was doing a bit, I was working in the office doing uh, 
preparing invoices for payment, thought ledger type of stuff. And I was probably the youngest in the office by probably about 25 years. So when the person who was doing payroll left, it wasn't one of the, in them days, there was never any would you like. It was just off you go. You're now doing payroll. And that's, I went and started working, doing payroll on um, the building site for, for all, all the manual, all the workers on the building sites and everything. And that was, in them days, it was completely manual. Yeah. You had these huge big sheets and you used to work it across the sheet, get your total that, and then that was like um, like a carbon copy that you used to tear off, fold it, and then on the first Thursday morning, the money used to turn up from head office in the security bag, and you used to then have to count it out, put it into the wage slips and in, into envelopes, big staples for them, and then take it down to the site to pay people. And that was my first experience of payroll. Um, yeah, so I can honestly say, it, it's, it's been my life. I've never, I've never looked to do anything different from the day I started doing payroll. I just found every day was different, and I just really enjoyed it. And uh, after about a year in Moland doing it, I was, what was I, just 20, and I decided Hertfordshire was great. I've lived there, was born there, but... I wanted to see the wide world. So I decided, I, I saw a job advertised for Westminster City Council. And I applied for it. And uh, I ended up working for their weekly payroll team, paying something in the region, three or 4,000 people weekly. Yeah. Yeah. Using timesheets. Um, As a baptism of fire, going from John Molem into a weekly payroll with a number of pay slips, I'd have thought. It was, it was, but what a fantastic grounding it was. What a fantastic learning place because um, local government was an amazing place to work. Um, multiple terms and conditions across different ranges of staff. You had care workers, you had refuse collectors, um, street sweepers, parks and gardens people housing caretakers, home helps, um, toilet, toilet convenience workers. Because at that time, there used to be hundreds of public toilets in, sure. in, in London, whereas now, you'd never find one. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, probably probably the best, best working experience I ever had was working at Westminster City Council. Met some people there who became lifelong friends. Um, still talk to them today. Um, Fantastic. So that I think that's right. That's what Peril can do, though, isn't it? Right? You've been at forty-two years. It's uh, it's a community. It's people. Yeah. Now you make connections. Uh, I'm I'm no different. I've been on. Uh, you know, for me, it's been my career as well. It's been my industry since I left university. I've never done anything else. I know I'm not a processor, but I've been entrenched in this industry for over twenty years. Um, I remember not maybe maybe not quite as manual as it was when you first started, but certainly in recruitment, we used to have roller decks of candidates, and uh, you know before everything was uh, was digitised into CRMs, you'd have to flip through, and everything was in system order. Who's used what system? Who lives in what postcode? And would flip through. So I do remember those manual days. I remember when Kalamazoo was then the yeah. uh, system side was uh, you know, slowly Rutherford Web and all the different system providers are out there that have changed or been bought out or merged or whatever. So it's been a really interesting journey. But I think the one thing that stayed true for me as well it's about the connections you make you being one of those of course back in 2004 mm. but i've been on stag dues i've been on cycling trips around europe with different pearl professionals and you know you only get to know those people from being fully immersed in the industry and um i think that's a really lovely way to start the show um so we've talked you've already taken me through some of the first questions how do you get into payroll what does the power mean to you which is fantastic we're going to talk a little bit about bureau today so tell us a little bit about how you got into to Bureau Payroll and what, what that meant back in the day when you first first sort of got, got yourself involved in the Bureau side of things. Yeah, um, it, it sort of stemmed from Westminster City Council because in the early 90s, local authorities, the budget started shrinking. Um, people, they're trying to, 
uh, direct where they could spend their money and where they couldn't spend their money. And payroll was seen pretty much in them days and has been for a long, long time as a back, back office function that really doesn't serve that much importance to, to organisations. Sure. So the first, uh, the first part of um, the outsourcing journey, really, in local government was they outsourced their payroll departments. So in 1990, when I was at Westminster, we became started off as a direct service organisation where we had our own budget internally to run a payroll. And we, we proved very successful at keeping costs down um, for a multitude of reasons. Um, but it then interested a company called ITNet, yeah. who were the IT department of Cadbury's in Bourneville. And they were interested in getting into the outsourced payroll market. And they were talking to uh, a dear friend of mine who passed away a few years ago, Peter Davis, who was our manager, the, the overall payroll manager in Westminster. And they put in a bid to, to take on Westminster City Council's payroll. And that's really where my journey into Bureau started in 1993 when ITNet took over uh, Westminster City Council. And they were also in the process of uh, taking over Westminster City Council's payroll. They also had just won a contract to take on Hertfordshire County Council. So Westminster was about 12,000 employees. Hertfordshire yep. County Council was something in the region of 60,000 plus because they had a huge pension payroll. Um, they also had um, Bexley payroll. And they, they were becoming quite a big player in the outsourced market. So I was, I was very fortunate because they, we were the first council they took. Then they took on all these other councils and they started merging the teams to get economies. Sure. And so I ended up running, at one point I was doing Westminster City Council, Hertfordshire Council, County Council, and I had some involvement with Bexley. So I, that's where my first experience of running multi, multiple payrolls of oh, some serious size and volume as well, right? I mean, um, unbelievable okay. size and volume, volume. And to say there was so much of it back in them days, it was so it was still so manual. And yeah, um, whilst organisations have started to look to change people from weekly pay to monthly pay, it still there was an awful lot of people who was the union stuck out to keep people on weekly pay and everything. So, um, yeah, it was huge. The other, the other thing about that back in them days was you learned why you did things. Because if someone didn't get paid, you had to manage. You, you, there was no, um, uh, what you call it, like easy aids online or anything like that where you could work out how to calculate someone's pay it's all done manually, insurance. tax tables. Yeah, yeah, it was all done manually. So you you had to know why something was worked that way, how to make it work to do the pie. And that is that's one of the it was one of the fantastic learnings from that, because you understood payroll. You knew you had to take the pension off before you, you did the tax. You knew over time wasn't pensionable, so you didn't include that in the pensionable pay. There were so many things that just became second nature to you because you learn every part of it. And I feel, probably this is probably for later a little bit, but I feel like today everybody is so reliant on the system. And if the system's not there, they really struggle to be able to explain how to do something or actually do it. And, yeah, that's, that's my first experience at Bureau, really. Um, so tell me a little bit about 
what what are the because you've done both you've got a, you've got a very career as I mentioned in my introduction between in-house um bureau public sector private sector what are the the key challenges and and critical differences between running a successful bureau payroll and an in-house payroll and I, I think let, let, let's let's keep that into I'm aware that bureau payroll has obviously evolved a lot as well since those days IT net and, and things like that so I guess bringing it up to, to to present day what are those what are those critical differences now what are the key challenges you're faced with between the, between the two um, the key challenges the biggest key challenge between an in-house payroll and a bureau payroll is the, uh, the multitude of paydays, etc. The, the huge raft of different T's and C's you're working on. I, I was looking, just uh, prepping, doing some prepping for this today, and I have, in the UK, I have 280 clients now, and in Ireland, I have 165. It works out about 27, 28,000 places. In wow. the UK this month, we've got set 17 different paydays. And wow. I'm sure, I, I'm sure yeah. Ireland has got some. We've got, we've got the first of the month, the fifth of the month, the sixth of the month, seventh, tenth, twelfth, seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth, twentieth, all of the way up to the, uh, the end of the month. So, just trying to keep all of that on track is a huge piece of work. Um, making sure you've got the resources in place to do that because you only need two or three people off sick and you're really juggling because we don't, as you know in payroll, we don't, we don't have people sat on the bench who we can just sub on when yeah. the, when the busy times happen, so yeah, so that's one of the that's one of the um, the biggest challenges of uh, trying to run a bureau in house payroll. As I say, I've done it. I I don't have a problem with it. I don't. I'm not. I would never sit here and say in house payroll is easier than bureau or bureau is harder than in house payroll because they, they all have their own challenges. Payroll is payroll, and I. I've seen some very big in-house payrolls um, with multiple terms and conditions. I just think it's the the biggest challenge in any bureau is just the sheer repetition of doing processing payrolls for so many clients, um, making sure that all the steps are followed, all the FPS is done, all the EPS is done, all the third-party payments are done, all the fax payments are done for people in the time. And it, just keep just con- controlling the calendar is a huge piece of work. We have them in a, in TMS. We have them manually that I tend to look at in old school. But we also have um, a very good system called Innate, which is like a workflow um, process management tool that has every client is in there, and it allows us to see each step of the payroll where it is and so we can see and then it runs on a traffic light solution sure. so so from what i'm what i'm hearing and knowing your background as i do sounds to me like uh, you're always kind of in that that mode of you know every client's important as the next client there's kind of no, no, no chance to rest when you're in bureau but i guess to to, to as you said I'm not saying one's harder than the other to counter that when you're doing in-house payroll of course it's, I mean, you've got a different set of challenges. So it might be you're looking at efficiency improvements and bringing in a new system. I know I've done a number of system implementations. Now, I'm not saying you can't do that in Bureau, but of course, implementing a new system across 280 in the UK alone is, is a bit of an undertaking and not every client might want to do that. So it's it's a different situation. But in-house, you know, you're always looking at those efficiency gains, those efficiency processes. There, there's probably more involved uh, involvement, I would imagine, in the... Yeah, just just improving systems, processes, communications. Whereas on bureau, you, you haven't really got time to think. It's next deadline, next deadline, next deadline. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, in house, you have more of the um, more interaction with the employees. Sure. Because they're your employees. Sure. Whereas in that bureau, you tend to go through a payroll contact. 
or a HR contact or finance somebody. So the queries will come to you third hand or second yeah. hand. Whereas in-house, everybody knew what, knows where the payroll people are if they're in the office. Yeah. And you could walk in in the morning, you could have a long line of people standing there wanting to talk to you about why their, why their tax has changed, why, uh, why didn't they get their, their overtime and all of that. So if the it, buck stops with you in-house a little bit more, maybe. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, much, much more. And it, so it, that's, that's actually very nice as well, because, again, you get to talk to the people and it, you meet people and you, it's quite nice when you've explained how tax works to somebody face-to-face and they, can, they understand it. Whereas, say, from a bureau perspective, you tend to find it's very much um, email responses, yeah. teams message responses, rather than that, that human interaction. It's probably, I, I'm making an assumption here, but uh, my knowledge of Bureau would suggest it's probably more analytical in the sense that you're, you're looking more at the number of, you know, the accuracy rates, the feeding back of reports, making sure that SLAs are being adhered to. Because you mentioned that actually you rarely deal with the inquiries directly. And that's because in my experience, even those that outsource payrolls will still often have a payroll manager in place that is, is employed to liaise very much with the Bureau providers. Um, and making sure things are correct before they send them out. So um, they will still be arguably the, the point of contact for those payroll queries firsthand. Yeah. So I, I guess what they're interested in, if they're outsourcing a service, they're expecting you to hit a certain metric in terms of accuracy and compliance and all those things. So uh, would I be correct in thinking as a result of that, there's more reporting or, or analytical kind of responsing than, than you might have on an in-house basis? Yeah, definitely. Um, as you- you quite rightly said, I don't, I must admit, I don't process payrolls at all these days and probably haven't really processed a payroll since 2020, 2021, maybe. During COVID, I did process a couple of payrolls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was, they, the team asked me not to do it after that because the client, uh, funnily enough, the client turned around and said, can we have Rob do your payroll because it's been the best one we've ever had from. Oh, that's nice. Very good. <laughs> So I, I stepped away. I had to step away from it because the team didn't want me doing it anymore. Because it, but yeah, I spend most of my time these days is looking at process improvement. Um, yeah. Looking at we say so we have some wonderful tech in um, TMF. Innate the innate task management tool leads into what we've got called like global dashboards. So I can see. Um, how long it's, it's taken someone to respond to emails, how long it's taken someone to process a payroll. Um, I can see how much rework we've done, how many defects are down to us, how many defects are down to clients. And it, it gives me, me and my uh, peers and everything, um, great insight to what is going on in the TMF payroll world. And it sure. allows us to look at um, where we have problems, pinch points, um, where we may be short on staff in certain areas. Uh, one of the things that we I've been looking at recently is the defects and the rework because there's two two parts. One, if it's at our end. I massively want to understand why we're making, why the mistakes are happening at Owen. Is it too much manual intervention? Can we automate any of them processes to take out the human being and uh, stop the errors? The other side is, if it's client uh, problems, such as poor quality of data or sending data late, then that's something that needs to be addressed from the SLA perspective and ultimately there's an opportunity there is also a revenue opportunity there because if people are not going to send in the data in the format we request and we then having to manipulate the data or manually key the data because it's coming in in email messages rather than templates that we've issued to clients there's we there is a every opportunity to go back to the client and say your payroll will cost you more if you don't start using our format so there's um yeah so I, I do an awful lot of that um 
I have, I do also find myself these days much more um, talking to staff. Ever since COVID, with people not going into the office, I spend an awful lot of time in Teams meetings um, talking to my direct reports, making sure they're okay and checking in and that type of thing. So the role of a payroll, my sort of role has definitely changed even since COVID. It's, it's, it's the, it's the oh, I say curse is the wrong word, but it's when you, you, you go into payroll doing the thing that you love, but actually it's the same with any profession, including recruitment that I'm in, right? The, the kind of the better you get at it or the more you further go up the chain, the less from, the less involved you are in the day to day, right? It's just part yeah. of the role. You step, you get to oversee and 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 mentor those that are doing those things in recruitment. Uh, in my shoes, you eventually get to a point that they say you've made it to the top when you become an accountant, which is just looking at the P and L and the reports yeah. and the other bits. So I'm always coming around to to, to <laughs> the financial side of things in the role that I'm in. And it's the same with payroll. Eventually, you you know you work that hard your entire career so that you you have a slightly different perspective and it's an overview. You don't need to do the day to day processing so much. Utilizing your experience then now as a as someone who isn't processing day to day, right? But but if you were to start up, I don't know, Rob Evans, um, ABC Limited, whatever it is, right? And you had a let's say you had a three thousand employees. I'm going to give you this number. What are some of the the questions that I should be considering to 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 know whether or not outsourcing a payroll is going to be right for my business? What are some of the considerations we need to think about? Uh, you've talked about the merits of, from a payroll management perspective, both professions and and the, and the challenges of both. But actually, from a business perspective, what are some of the advantages of, of, of outsourcing to your bureau? What are some of the advantages of keeping it in-house? And what should we think about? The advantages, obviously. And since COVID, I've, I personally, from at CMF, I've noticed a massive uh, influx of clients wanting to outsource their payroll. So because I am sure they all realised once uh, furlough came in, how much extra work that was creating for a payroll office. The legislation, all legislation is, the HMRC want payroll to basically deliver everything for them without there really being any um, recompense to an organisation or that for doing HMRC's job for them. Yeah. Um, so there's a staffing issue. Let's say there's the staffing. Um, by outsourcing, you take your risk away from from staff sickness, that type of thing. There's also cost of software is a benefit. Um, data, a lot of, you can put a lot of the issues with storing data and everything go on to the third party, the outsource provider. Yeah. So, and say the knowledge and the training, you all of a sudden, you don't have to invest in the level of training perhaps internally if you've got a payroll team internally because that's the provider's going to be giving you the expertise. They should be giving you the governance around it and you should be protecting yourself from uh, HMRC fines and that's up because all of that's been pushed over there. However, I do notice an awful lot of um, people or companies when they outsource payroll, they feel like they've sort of almost abdicate responsibility. Yeah, I can imagine that. I can so imagine that. They they let their payroll people go and they think, oh well, the finance director can look after payroll or the HR manager or the HR admin they can look after payroll and make sure it's all okay. But they don't know anything about payroll or might not have any knowledge of payroll. So it's very, they then can't challenge a bureau or they can't challenge payroll as to whether it's right or wrong because they don't know the question to ask anyone. That's interesting because as I was saying earlier, we've seen a real influx in terms of recruitment stuff work that we're doing of actually finding payroll professionals for companies who have outsourced their payrolls. It's because they realize they put it with HR, they put it with finance, and they don't know what they're doing. And they've decided we need someone on the ground to work with the bureaus. And it's yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a worthwhile investment to do that because then you've got a dedicated payroll professional, as you say, who can push back with the bureaus, can can make sure that the information going to the bureau, as you mentioned earlier, 
is in the right format so further charges don't apply. It's, it's being delivered correctly. So, yeah, we're seeing that in, from our side of the fence as well. Yeah, it's critical, I would say, to any, anybody who's thinking about sourcing their payroll, especially if, if it's a large, larger payroll. I would be saying you have to keep somebody in-house. You have to have yeah. that knowledge in-house because there are lot, there are lots of very, very, very good bureaus. But there also there will be bureaus out there who will be opportunists in their, their pricing. And they could, you could end up paying a fortune for something that really shouldn't be costing you that because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Have you ever asked yourself, how can I recruit payroll staff effectively? Please don't give up on your recruitment project just yet. Here at JGA Payroll Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top payroll talent. We also understand just how costly a poor payroll hire can be. JGA Recruitment are a niche payroll recruitment agency who will partner with you to resource payroll candidates who will improve both the accuracy and efficiency of your payroll department. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Just taking it a bit further, while well, I've got the opportunity to ask you questions, not just about Bureau, whether to outsource or not to outsource or the key differences, but it's rare I get someone who's not only done in-house payroll and bureau payroll, but who's also worked in public sector at a big level, you know, large scale level, and has managed in-house payrolls as well. So what are the what are the key differences between public sector and private sector? Because when it, you know, when I look at this through the recruitment lens, when people are in the public sector, actually, they're usually reticent to leave it. They 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 tend to stay in the public sector for their entire payroll careers. Whereas when we talk about trying to move people from private sector to public, there seems to be a resistance to it. And I don't know why that is. So it'd be great to get some experience from your side. And there seems to be a resistance to come out of public sector to private sector. So what are, what are the key differences uh, between working in both environments? And is it is it a simple transition to move from private to public or public to private? I think, I think the transition is quite easy. I, at the bit... People don't tend to want to leave public sector to go to private sector because the benefits in the public sector are just far exceed what's in the private sector. Um, I a final salary sacrifice, a final salary payroll, a pension scheme. Yeah, I remember the final. So there used to be a lot of final salary pensions. Yeah. I can understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, chances are most people would have had an opportunity to retire at 60 in public service, in the public sector. Um, if he was in civil service, their pension scheme is unbelievable. I was, I was in um, Ofgem yeah. for a couple of years. You, I mean, you actually... I placed you there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I know it well. I worked yeah. with as a client and a candidate. I didn't mention yeah. that in the introduction. I thought it might be too much. Well, thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> no, no. It was um, a, what a, a great place to work. The tech was fantastic. The pension scheme was unbelievable. Twenty-five um, percent employers' yeah, I contribution. I remember. It, Mental. How you you just you you you'd be silly to go away from that. I mean, and I I, I left because the role was moving somewhere else. It was moving. They relocated, didn't they? They relocated yeah. from one side to the other. Yeah. So I, but yeah, I mean, the benefits 30, 30 odd days holiday. Um, you don't. You just don't get that in private, the private sector. You tend to get good job security in the public sector as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, yes, public sector does make people redundant, but not not as often as private sector will. Um, it it's just much more secure. Um, in terms of the difference between private sector and public sector from delivering payrolls. Public sector are a very mature market now in outsourcing because it's been going since 
1990s. They've been outsourcing uh, local authorities, civil service. Yeah. I mean, I've worked on things like Highway England, Ofqual, Office of Rail and Road, MOJ, outsourced all their stuff. The Supreme Court, one of my favourite ex-clients. Um, they, they know what they want. And the price, they're very driven by price. And you, you're not going to make a lot of money in that in, from an outsourced perspective in that industry because say that they're very knowledgeable about what they want. Huge raft of terms and conditions. Sure. So it makes it very, very complex. Whereas if you tend to go to a private company, they normally, unless they sort of come merged with other organisations and sort of um, two people in, they tend to have a standard set of terms and conditions. Maybe one pension scheme, maybe two. They might have a salary sacrifice and a, and a pension contribution scheme. Uh, most of their terms and conditions are all the same. You go in. You go into local authority education or that, then you, you end up with a raft of because you let uh, white-collar conditions, blue-collar conditions. Education is a, a complete minefield because you've got different pay scales for teachers, uh, support Remember, staff. Everyone always asks for the t- experience of uh, teacher pensions, and that's a complex yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. And the, their pension schemes are all different. The, the local government pension scheme is different from the civil service pension scheme. Sure. The civil service pension scheme is completely different to the teacher's pension scheme. And then you have others. It's just, it's just a raft of different terms and conditions. So it's a huge amount to learn. And I say, I think that's why I took to Bureau because I've done that. I, I, was, I worked in all of that when I was at Westminster City Council because in 1990, Ilya disappeared and all the education came into local authorities. So we had a huge learning curve to understand how education payrolls yeah. ran, uh, learning, say, the um, teachers' pension schemes and all of that. So whilst working in-house, I, saw, I learned, really the, started to learn Bureau while in-house. So when I when I moved over to the truly into the bureau world, it was like a bit sort of familiar to me really because I was used to working on multiple T's and C's, different pension schemes, yeah. different holiday schemes, pay awards, and all of that time type of thing. So it just it just was an easy felt an easier fit for me. So Taking things forward, then, there's a, there's a famous coaching saying that says, well, got you here, won't get you there. We're seeing the, the world of payroll evolve rapidly. Uh, obviously, a lot of that was, was, was advanced during the pandemic where we had to change the way things were done and technologies are, uh, are constantly you know, infiltrating the payroll process now with, with new solutions that do different things. What do you see as being the biggest challenge for the future of Bureau uh, and maybe even for the payroll industry in general? And what do we need to consider as payroll professionals, particularly leaders within this space that a lot of people listening to this show will, will, will be operating at? They need to adapt or, or, or consider in order to be ready for what's coming. Good question. Um, I think the biggest thing for the payroll, regardless of it's in-house or bureau, I think is recruitment and retention of staff. Um, I think COVID burnt out a huge amount of people. Yeah. And some, and a lot of very experienced people have walked away probably from, or have walked away from the payroll industry, um, chose to retire or have just said enough is enough. It's, it was too, it's, I don't want to do that anymore. And going back to what I was saying earlier, that has left a huge hole in the payroll world because whilst there's people who want payroll jobs, they don't have the knowledge, they don't understand how and why things happen the way they do or how that. So we've got a lot of people in the industry now or coming into the industry, but we haven't got them. The knowledge is gone. And that 
that is a big problem. And as, um, as leaders, we have to be shouting that organisations need to train their people. We need, as leaders, to be pushing payroll centres, CIPP, and get them training our staff and making sure people are up to speed on it. Um, and making sure that we are monitoring the levels of our staff and making sure that they are, are getting the training they need. Um, I'm not, not sure if I'm allowed to do a bit of a buzz, but I, we use a tool called Act. From the I, I, I know ACT really well. We actually offer it as a service for our own recruitment service here. For people, you were talking about the importance of uh, recruitment and retention, Rob. It's music to my ears, but we're actually, we're the only recruiter that offers ACT as part of our standard service. So we are able to use the ACT solution to uh, understand the capabilities of the people we're putting forward for positions. So if you're taking them on and you see there's a weakness in SMP or whatever it might be, you can make the decision as to whether you can chain that in-house whether you need that skill or whether you don't. And, and, and it really helps from a recruitment perspective. So I know Act very well, fantastic product. Yeah, so we, I've, I brought that into TMF. Um, it's, as you say, fantastic tool. I, all my people, I've got, say, in total, I've got 65, 70 people working in payroll between UK, Ireland, and... Uh, a regional delivery centre in Katowice, in Poland. Yep. Uh, they all are expected to do the ACT's core modules and then do, for people in more senior roles, do the extended stuff. The um, And it does, it just gives me a fantastic glance. I can look and see who is struggling, where my pinch points, where my problems are, yeah. and start challenging. I, I have a lady who's taken up a training role and she can then start focusing the sessions that she's going to run internally for people. Or if it's, if it's something that's going to need more than an in-house training, we can go and talk to CIPP, the payroll sure. company, whatever, whoever. <laughs> And so, for those not familiar, ACT works on a traffic light system. So yeah. green is, is knowledge is, is there. Uh, amber, if you like, is, uh, you know, you've got some knowledge and, and red needs a, is a training requirement, right? So your trainer now can spot where the reds are and, and deliver the training in the areas that are most necessary. It's, it's, a, it's a very clever system for, for identifying yeah. training requirements, identifying, I don't like the word weaknesses, but areas for development, areas for improvement. Yeah. Yeah. It's also, um, I like the terminology in it, in that they don't, they're not tests, they're quizzes. Um, because I don't think people like being told they're being tested. Um, well, the, it provides it an opportunity for your employer to invest in yeah. making you better and more knowledgeable of what you do. And if you embrace it with that mindset um, and, and take on the assessments, the quizzes, whatever you want to call it, then actually it gives you the opportunity then to, 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 to get the training from special trainers experts to improve. And that's what we want. And we, um, we want to use I was happy you mentioned recruitment and retention. It means that my job hopefully is still safe, Rob, or the business we're doing, right? Because, I'm sure it will be. I'm yeah. sure it will be. Um, so we, 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 we're going to use um, ACT as part of uh, working for internal promotions as well to see whether people are ready to take the next step. It's not all about um, you know how to calculate facts. It's not all about knowing how to calculate national insurance. But there are fundamentals that really... If you're taking a step going from an admin to a senior or from a senior to a, a team leader, you have to have a, a certain uh, depth of knowledge to be able to even take on the role. So, and it gives me a very, very quick view of who is in the right place ready to move on. So that's, that's, um, that's great. Um, I think the, the, the biggest challenge from me, from a bureau perspective, is the magic button. And we're all searching for the magic button. And everyone, we all laugh about, oh yeah, payroll's just pressing the magic button. Yeah. I, think it was, I think it was listening to Vicky a few weeks ago. And she was saying, actually, we all want the magic button. Because, we do. Because we want to um, eliminate, like almost... Um, 
people's manual intervention in stuff. We want to get systems driven. I know in, in, my, in my area, I've got something like um, 100 payrolls that have probably got between one and six or seven people on them. Now, if I could get them payrolls, if I know they're no change payrolls, they're, they're, nothing's going to happen on them in most months. If I could automate a process where AI, a box or something could come along and go, press that button, right, we've opened the period, we've downloaded the HMRC, we've created a timesheet, we've run the payroll, and we've created all the draft reports, and they're now in your output, ready to go for someone to check. If we can get that that work, that type of tech working and then roll it out to larger clients and that type of stuff. My life, the world becomes much easier. And what I, when I keep saying this to people, they, their immediate thing is, are oh, you trying to make the people with, uh, take the people out of payroll? No, I want, I want the people to concentrate in on what they're delivering. I want them to be looking at the, the ch- checking what's, been produced, making sure it's correct. I want them engaging with the clients, talking to the clients, and building the client experience, rather than people being pressurised, keying data into the system, trying to load data into couldn't, the system. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I actually had that conversation with Vicky about the the big red button, if you like, and it's actually what what we should be aspiring towards. It was Ben Johnson, uh, 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 someone I dealt with, who, who first mentioned it to me. So I don't know why we're fearful of it. This is what we're aspiring for. because, And you know why we're aspiring for it? Because payroll has evolved. It's way more complex than just the process now. And that's the beauty yeah. of it. That's actually the thing we should be celebrating. As you say, it's the uh, the client experience, the employee experience, uh, the well-being side of payroll, dealing with benefits, dealing with data, analytics, you know, not seeing payroll just as a a cost center, but actually something that can add money to the bottom line if you spot the right efficiencies in the right places, building cross-collaborative relationships with other functions to improve organizational success. So much stuff in there that actually, if we can get that main bit done, the automated bit, the bit that um, is actually at most at risk of human error, then actually then we can really see the payroll get, you know, thrust into the limelight for the future, which I think is really exciting. Something you mentioned, uh, Rob, which was I thought was interesting, is what earlier on talking about the pressure of uh, the amount of deadlines, I think it was 17 deadlines that you said you run um, all at the same time. It's got to be a stressful profession. Um, and I know that if you're working, you mentioned a lot of people get been burnt out by the pandemic. They've struggled with the stress. They've decided enough is enough. And we've seen a lot of really good talent leave the industry. So I would argue then that it's really important that we have stress-relieving exercises or things that we do outside of work that can allow us to come into our work and be our best versions of ourselves. And I know you, so I know where this is going and you'll know where this is going. Uh, you you do take uh, involve or, or have some involvement in a particular sport that I'm sure is a particularly good stress relief. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, as, as we said at the beginning, I'm... I'm Massive sports fan, um, into all sports. When we were talking, we were talking um, off air. Massive off-air, cricket yeah, fan, yeah, rugby yeah. fan, uh, then, Chelsea fan, well, and so on. Chelsea football fan. Whether that probably people are dislike me even more now. <laughs> I'm a Spurs <laughs> fan, so we're yeah, yeah. Well, we're you're, you're happy at the moment. Um, but yeah. Anyway, I'm a big fan of sports, and I train train a lot. On I I like training. Um, it helps. But when I was 55, I started training with a lady who was into boxing. And I fell in love with boxing. And my, I know my partner, she's like, you must be mad. Why would you want to do boxing? But I just fell in love. And I, one of the things I tell say to anybody, firstly, from a fitness perspective, it's one of the best training things you can ever do. Yeah. And secondly, whether you're you're just hitting a bag, whether you're hitting pads with a trainer. When I say pads, it's where the guy stands and waves sure. them around and calls out shots that you want to hit, and you then learn you throw the punches at the pads. Or whether you go to the extreme that I went to, which is I had white collar fights. 
I trained for two or three, but I've, I've been I've had some knee injuries, and that's stopped me fighting. But I and I was sparring every Tuesday evening for about two and a half years, three years, until COVID. And when you go into the gym and you know you're going to be hitting pads and you know you're probably going to go and spar with people who are going to be trying to punch you, you forget about work. It's a complete, you have to switch off. And you focus on what you're doing. And everybody's got a plan, as Mike Tyson once said, and so yeah. you get a punch in the face. Correct. I love that saying. So I would just say to anybody who is looking for a way of relieving uh, the stress from payroll or any, any job they do. It doesn't have to be payroll. Any job can be tough and demanding. Go and have a look at boxing. Uh, boxing gyms are some of the, the best places in the world. You'd think they're rough and ready, but everybody's very supportive in there normally. Um, you, will, you can pick the levels you want to be at, but you, you will find the benefits of boxing probably outdo going for a run. Going for a run is great. I like running. But boxing definitely helps with the mind. So because you, when you're running, you can still be thinking about work. When you're boxing, honestly, you don't think about your work. You don't think about, I've got a meeting in two hours' time or uh, have we run that payroll? You're focused on... The thing is the challenge in front of you um, and everything. And that's why I love it. So, I think I, that's a, a really lovely, lovely example. I mean, as a lot of people do think they're these spit and sawdust places. They've, they've evolved a lot. Anyone who watched The, the Apprentice recently will know that anyway, because... Uh, the, the woman that was, um, you know, in the final of that wants to run her own boxing gyms and, and change the, the way it is. But we've seen the massive growth in boxer size classes, you know, those those hit classes, which are hellish if you're involved. But you don't half feel yeah. good. Any, you can't think about anything else but the next exercise when you're doing that because you're too tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're great. And I, I would say I, I was going to, I used to go to 12 rounds boxing gym in Clapham Junction. And I was amazed when I went there how many women had taken up boxing yeah I go there's another great job uh, gym uh, just around the Brixton area called uh, Miguel's fantastic gym and there's some more a little bit more high level gyms Rathbone gym and that up in Good Street and around that way they've got some in uh, Knightsbridge and everything but they're very friendly places and they're not how you saw them in the Rocky movies with just all these big guys in there. It, they they, they have involved. I think it's important to raise this, and I'm glad I have, because mental health, we, you know, payroll is so focused now on the mental health of the employees, making sure that they are well, from whether it's financial health or whether it's mental health and being that person that can support them. Payroll have got to wear lots of different hats at the minute for the employees and make sure they're there for them. Very easy to to forget to look after ourselves. There's a saying that says, we often teach the things we most need to learn. And I think in this instance, it's true for pale professionals. We're very good at advising others on how to look after their own mental health. And in doing so, we neglect our own. And whether it's boxing or whether it's, as you say, running or, or something else, I think it is important to have something, some kind of outlet where you can just relieve a little bit of steam. Now, I'm not a boxer, but those that know me know I do a lot of triathlon, a lot of other exercises. I also play the drums, so I may not kick her, uh, kick or hit bags well i can i can hit the hell out of a drum kit and that'll certainly make me feel better um so i think there's a lot of um a lot that people can take away from that and knowing how much i know that's impacted your well-being and your health and, and the way that you see the world through boxing which is a real passion and for those that haven't seen rob's linkedin picture i'll put a link in the show notes you know it is a boxing image of, of about which i think is fantastic um i think it's something that for those that are struggling with the stresses of payroll and there are many out there who are, work lots and lots of hours uh, under a lot of pressure. Um, you know, maybe boxing is something they could consider, if not boxing, something else. But I think it's a, it's a really worthwhile thing to, to, to bring to the show. Yeah, I, I, sorry, I, I, I never thought at 55 I'd even think about boxing. I never thought about it before. I liked boxing, watching it on the TV, but I never thought that I would do it. Um, so it's one of the greatest thrills of my life. I boxed at... Um, Clapham Grand in front of a thousand people. 
Wow, amazing. I I lost on points. I was 58, and I lost on points to a 28-year-old. <laughs> take that. Yeah, so it, you it, you take you take it. I it, say it's a fantastic fantastic way of uh, relieving the stress. And I say you don't you don't have to go to that extreme. You can just go down there and do the boxes. I do the hit the hit classes and everything. But the camaraderie is all there. Um, and the boxing gyms do actually all do quite a lot of um, mental health training work as well, and Good. which I found sort of quite eye-opening when you consider how people would consider a boxing as a bit of a barbaric type of sport, when actually Absolutely. it's very keen on promoting mental health. And you'd be surprised how many people in boxing gyms struggle and that is how they cope. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Well, listen, today's been a really good exploration into the world of Bureau. Your experience in particular, uh, Rob, was 42 years. I'll never forget that now because I know it's yeah. the same age as me, so I'll always know for as long as I know you how long you've been in the industry. I'm um, going to finish with uh, three short, sharp questions. We're going to open the payroll vault. Uh, to begin with, one piece of advice you would give to someone working in payroll right now? Oh, piece of advice. Be accountable for what you deliver to you, internally or externally. Just take responsibility for it and then strive to give, do your best. Super, fantastic. Uh, number two, if you had the power of foresight and you could change the entire payroll industry with one action or one improvement, what would that action or improvement be? Uh, the simple one is I'd like to see, uh, do away with, things like P60s, P11Ds, scrap them, and let's just go, everything goes through payroll. You don't do not do end of year or such. It's just everything's just rolled forward that way. Yeah. Um, we need to modernise the UK tax system is one thing. Um, the other, the second thing on that would be, let's find that magic button, guys. Yeah, no, nice. Why not? Why not? And you're not the first to mention about the simplification piece either. So that's something that I think is uh, it, it resonates with other payroll professionals like yourself. And last but not least, I may be able to guess what this is, but I don't want to make any assumptions in the world of the payroll podcast. Rob. But if a payroll was a movie uh, or even a song, what song or movie would it be and why? Part of me wants to say Die, die Hard. I thought you were going to say Rocky. No, I, I was. I was going to say die, die hard work because it can be life and death at the moment and it's, uh, it can be extremely challenging. But Rocky, because it's, um, again, it, the challenge is it's, you always seem to be fighting against something, fighting somebody and fighting for something. Was it was it Chumbawamba that said, "Well, I get knocked down, but I get up again? But I get up again, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I say, I, 42 years in payroll, I love it. And I, I just say to anybody out there, if you're starting your career in payroll, enjoy it, have some fun with it. Um, payroll people, we work hard, but we're known to have, we have a great great sense of humour and normally we party hard. As, as me and you, when we bumped into each other, know, and yep. I'm sure lots of people on here who already know me probably will vouch for that as well. Well, what a fantastic, you rounded up the summary for me. I don't need to say another word. That's a fantastic way to close the show. Rob Evans, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Pearl Podcast today, talking about your career in Bureau payroll, uh, in-house payroll, public sector payroll, private payroll and more. Uh, of course, for those that want to find out more, I will put a link to Rob Evans's LinkedIn profile in the show notes. You can see his boxing picture there as well as his profile picture. Uh, for those who want to find out more about uh, TMF Global Payroll as well, there will be a link to their Global Payroll Services uh, site in the show notes as well. And of course, if you are a payroll leader listening to this podcast, as Rob said, one of the most important things to consider now is the ability to attract and retain top payroll talent. That's what we're all about here at James Gray Associates. So do get in touch with either myself or any of my wonderful and experienced team at jgarecruitment.com. Just leaves me to say a huge thank you once again to Rob Evans for joining me today. I look forward to bringing you the next episode of the Payroll Podcast real soon. Thanks again. Cheers, Rob. Cheers. Take care, Nick. All the best. That's all for this episode of the Payroll Podcast. I hope you enjoyed our discussion today and gained valuable insights and inspiration to advance your payroll career or your payroll operation. 
If you haven't already, please, please do subscribe to the show so you never miss a future episode. And if you found this podcast helpful, please take a moment to leave us a little review on your preferred podcast platform. It's your feedback that really helps me to improve the show and of course, attract new listeners so we can continue to raise the profile of the payroll industry for all. Finally, if you know anyone who could benefit from this payroll podcast, please do share it with them. Let's spread the word and build a vibrant community of payroll professionals worldwide. Thank you, of course, for listening. My name is Nick Day. Please do look me up on LinkedIn and send me a connection request. In the meantime, I look forward to being with you again on the next episode of the Payroll Podcast real soon.